Hey everyone, welcome to yet another episode of Darling Why. This time we're talking all about Power Windows by the band Rush. If you like what you hear, feel free to give us a like or a follow at Darling Why Podcast or on any platform you listen to. We really hope you enjoy this episode. You are going to hear a lot of impressions of ridiculous music and bass noises. Sorry about that, but also not sorry because it's fucking great. Anyways, enjoy the episode. The 80s. That's genuinely what I was thinking in my mind, just going in, in the 80s, and then yeah. you said it! Yeah. Oh, we uh, spent too much time together. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, today I am going to wax lyrical about the 11th album from Canadian power trio Prog Kings, well, most mostly Prog Kings, Rush. We'll, we'll get into that in a bit of detail. So... I'm not going to give you a really long intro about the origins of Rush because at this point they were already they're on album eleven. Yeah, they've been going since technically 1968. They're in it. Yeah, I'm not going to you know give you the full potted history because one that would spoil potential future episodes, and two, I kind of want to keep this to a reasonable length. No, 17 hours of Rush history. That's what the people want. Yeah. So, real, real quick part of history, formed in Toronto by Alex Lifeson, drummer John Rutsey, and bassist guitarist Jeff Jones, who was replaced pretty quickly by a certain Gary Lee Weinreb, aka Geddy Lee, um, in about January 1969, they, Alex Lifeson and Geddy Lee knew each other from school. They spent a few years trying to get themselves off the ground. Um, in about 1974, various DJs in Cleveland started playing their song Working Man, all over their radio shows and what mm-hmm. have you, there was a particular there was just like this real groundswell in Cleveland, like they couldn't get arrested anywhere else. Like it was just not necessarily going somewhere. But then that picks up. Um, their first album, the self-titled album, does okay. The second album, the record label clearly wanted it to be more successful. But the second album, John Rutsey leaves the band and he is replaced by, in my humble opinion the greatest man to ever play drums yeah Neil Peart I don't and think it that's is Peart a, I think that's a controversial opinion to be quite honest I think a lot of people the drummer's drummer would, he's the drummer's drummer I think a lot of people would agree the guy's it, yeah anyway uh, sorry I'm, I, I worry that I'm going to start to turn this into a Neil Peart fan cast and it could be I was very tempted just to do a whole episode just on him and I might eventually in the future I don't know just sitting watching hours of of drum playthroughs. I have. That's why I made the joke, Louis. <laughs> I've seen you do it. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Every time. It's been fantastic. So, yes, that lineup is the lineup that Rush kept from essentially 1975 till retirement. Mm. Um, they packed it in. They, re- they essentially retired after their 40th anniversary tour, as in 40th anniversary of this lineup, because if. Yeah. Yeah. They retired after that. They, they were, they were, um, you know, they were getting on a bit. They play long shows. They play three-hour shows every night. Rush are very well known as a prog rock band. Mm. That's what when you say Rush to people who like guitar music, they, like, they refer to them. Oh, you know, the prog rock band, new twenty one twelve. Oh, concept albums. Oh, the weird star child thing pointing at the thing. Sure. This bothers me because one, these people ignore the fact that. Rush didn't like split up in like 1980 and then come back in like 2011 to do like nostalgia tours. You know, they didn't like, they didn't split up, fuck off for 20 years. Like, 
they were having MTV hits in the 80s, which we will go into in a little bit more detail. They were, you know, they were still playing arenas all over the globe from essentially about 1980 through till the end of their career. Did they ever, like, take a long hiatus or break or anything? There is only one sort of major long hiatus, and that is, it's really, like, basically born from tragedy. Uh, Neil Peart's daughter and common-law wife died within, like, a year of each other. One via an accident, one via a horrendous illness, and he was like, I'm done. Fair. And, yeah, there was a few years where that was it. Sure. But it's very interesting that at no point were Getty and Alex thinking, should we get a replacement? No, that was it. That it was makes over. sense. Yeah, yeah. They did eventually come back um, and they put out a record in 2002 called Vapor Trails, which is a whole thing because the mix on it was like hilariously shit and people didn't like it and eventually they remixed it years and years later. That's a whole story. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'd like to address the misconception that Russia just a prog rock weird concept band. They're not. Objectively, they weren't. There's only one album of theirs that is actually a concept album start to finish. And that didn't come out until 2012. <laughs> so all you fucking losers, all you fucking bellends, the people you claim to know what you're talking about, you don't know what you're talking about. Can I ask as someone... Sorry, who, it really bothers me. So, for context, where I'm coming into this from, um, I listened to 2112 years ago because you recommended it to me. Because the first half of it is a song is the concept the second half of 2112 is mm. actually original songs yeah. so it's not a con- I can't call it a concept album and I, and I listened to the album you'll be talking about in a while to yeah. d- today so I even though I've, I've full on watched like a documentary about Rush I think also with you but like so I feel like I know what they're about with the sound necessarily so is there a reason why there's this impression of like them as a concept album band is it just like oh it's nerdy prog shit yeah people it's people that Check them out in the 70s. People, you know, they would lump them in with Led Zeppelin, what have you. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Because they did sound a lot like Led Zeppelin. But where, you know, Led Zeppelin split up, you know, John Bonham dies, Led Zeppelin split up. Rush, don't. Yeah. Rush carried on. Rush went into the 80s. Rush changed their look. They changed their sound very heavily. Mm, yeah, yeah. They moved with the times. And in the 80s, you know, concept records about... Like, twenty one twelve is about essentially <laughs> asshole priests who don't like basically assholes who don't like individuals, asshole priests who don't like individual expressions of thought and sound. Okay. There is a reason in there is a little bit of there's a whole little controversy at one point in that time because um, in the liner notes for that um, Neil Peart thanks Ayn Rand <laughs> for her I believe the comment exact was like for her ideas basically. Um, Neil Peart was sort of very attracted to the individualism sure. rather than necessarily the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. He was also much younger. Like, he has openly moved, he openly said many times in the, like, many years later, he was just like, I've moved past it. That was, yeah, yeah I was like 25. Enough. Yeah. And look, <laughs> I, we all have thoughts when we're 25 where we're like, I know everything. Yeah. I hardly know everything. And then yeah. you, uh, uh, years later, you're like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they were, you know, they would also put out albums with really long songs on it. You know, yeah, that is something. That's that would the have reputation. In my, that's in my the brain. reputation. Yeah. They basically stopped doing that for like. Pr- they basically didn't release an album with a song that was ten plus minutes for like a decade. But like, from they basically stopped doing that. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Like the majority of their career is not that. That's why it sort of bugs me hmm. when people who claim to 
be fans or you know they claim it's people claim expert knowledge or something they're not experts on I'm not an expert but it's a misconception that I think puts people off Rush quite a lot yeah and the reason that was my impression of Rush before you uh, introduced a more holistic view of their career but yeah, yeah I would have said that uh, very like long proggy songs and I was like well that's not my vibe so why would I give it a go yeah I get confused because I know plenty of people who may not enjoy the more classic rock stylings of 70s Rush. Mm. Partly because Geddy Lee's voice is way up there. Oh, is he doing the falsetto? It's like... I haven't listened to 70s Rush in like four years, so I can't remember. Put it this way, it makes 80s Rush sound like a fucking bass. So, yeah, way up in that falsetto. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And it's, yeah, it's off-putting. People find that off-putting. Sure. And fair enough. But 80s Rush is much more, shall we say, influenced by New Wave. It's, it's, yeah. you know, if you like things like The Police, if you like keyboards, for example. I was thinking about Bon Jovius at one point. Like, not that they sounded like Bon Jovius, yeah. but that it's in the same energy at points. Like, you know... I think it, Peter Collins, the producer of this record, actually did a Bon Jovi record There's at some something point. about it that it reminded me at one point of... Um, it's just the vibe. I couldn't even... Not even a particular song. Yeah. But it was like that kind of, like, yeah, like more like the police and the, like in that area rather than say like a Duran Duran, like a more 80s pop oh, yeah. stuff. It is more in that rock. Race. That's what I suppose I'm getting at. Oh, yeah. The, but, the police is a very, 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 very strong influence. Yeah. Oh, 100% at this point. The police, like the the sort of occasional Cod Reggae style, not Cod Reggae, but the sort of police influenced style or styles yeah there are moments of that across a lot of Rush's 80s work mm. anywho so this is the 11th as I mentioned this is the 11th record the previous record Grace Under Pressure comes out in 1984 it's a very good record but certain people in the band not so keen on it at the time Geddy Lee not so keen on it at the oh, time oh that's interesting no like because the, the, he's the, ostensibly the front man like yes but he's also but you have to remember he's not the lyricist oh I didn't know that okay. Neil Peart is the lyricist oh is he okay yeah. that's interesting yeah we'll, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there will be a lot of quotes from him in this piece yeah. <laughs> like there will be a lot of Geddy Lee quotes as well um, there are a few because there are some he has some really interesting thoughts so basically Grace Under Pressure very very good album but Geddy Lee says and I quote we realised with Grace Under Pressure that we were not a techno-pop band. We tend, we pretended to be from time to time and we realised there are some very dramatic differences between us and that kind of music that will never allow us to have that same sound. We have a rhythm section that is hyperactive and very alive and most of those techno-pop sounds are very cool, controlled, minimalistic rhythm sections. No wonder the sweat snare sounds so great. There's nothing else there. That sound was so seductive, that big hi-fi sound. We realised why a lot of those things weren't part of our music but we realised we could take some of them and use them. We stopped denying what we were a little bit on this album. Last year, we were obsessed with getting new sounds. So yeah, like, he, he doesn't hate Grace Under Pressure now. They were playing songs off it as, you know, on their more recent tours before mm. they split. Like, that's, it is a good record, but it's no power window. It Like, with respect. With the way you've just described it, it kind of feels like, um, you know, that kind of thing where, like, bands kind of take a left turn and try a yeah. new sound. And on the first attempt, they don't, quite get it and it kind of integrates well, a bit better depend, over time it depends who you ask because people if you ask hardcore obsessors their favourite to list all 19 Rush albums mm. 
signals, which is the first one that is really prominent. Like, there have been keyboard sounds as far back as, like, Hemispheres and shit. Sure. No, Fairway King, sorry. Um, then Hemispheres is the one after it. That's, like, 1977. But the keyboard heavier direction yeah. really kicks in with Signals, which is the album before Grace Under Pressure. Mm. And that album is pretty well regarded. Um, Grace Under Pressure does not have the same necessary level of uh, clout in the fandom, I believe, as Signals. Sure. Yeah. Singles is one of the biggest, like, most well-known songs on it as well. Mm. Um, Subdivisions, great tune. Yeah, Grace Under Pressure, it's really good, but Geddy Lee was not so keen at the time, which does inform, like, some of the changes and what have you yeah. that happen here. He also said in the very in the same interview, he said, I'm playing a lot more bass than in recent history. I've really had it with keyboards after the last record. <laughs> I found that my bass parts were getting relegated to little bits of songs and I was getting frustrated. On this record, I said I'm going to play wherever I can. There's more about, um, like, sequences and how, you know, it goes into stuff about um, setting strict limitations about how they were going to do this record. Hmm. Essentially, because when you listen to Grace Under Pressure, it does, you do get that, you do get that, it's like, right, here's the bass, okay? Now we'll have a bit of synth. Yeah. Then a bit of bass again. That doesn't because when they were playing live, he he would play what, between the two. Yeah. Yes, but he would also activate a lot of the sounds with like foot pedals and shit. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. It wasn't like some guy in, off, off stage doing it. No, I've seen like because I knew it was yeah. him doing both those things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I've seen them like recordings of them playing live from around that time. Yeah, he also said, "I think it is a return to our roots. We tried to maintain the trio focus and bring out the rock feelings. We definitely wanted this record to rock." That's really where we're most comfortable after all the talk about technology. We love to rock, and there's still a lot of heavy rock influences in us. At the same time, we wanted to utilize a lot of the technology that's out there. We wanted this record to be both those we wanted to have. We wanted the record to be both. We wanted to have all those nice modern techno pop sounds, but it's not until you tear down the secrets of those sounds that you can do it because you can say that's why it sounds like that. That's why Tears for Fears have such a great synthesizer sound. There's no guitar going wang at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's why the guy's snare sound is so good, because he's just playing one little thing and there's lots of room. He also went on to talk about how he had a lot of mixed feelings going into this particular record, because, you know, again, they weren't sure. But he does eventually say at the end of the piece, it's the first time completing an album that I've felt really happy in a long time since Moving Pictures, which would have been about three or four records ago. Okay. Yeah, Grace Under Pressure, Signals, Moving Pictures. So... That implies that he wasn't ha- particularly happy with most of Signals, which is insane because Signals <laughs> is great. Moving Pictures is the one with Tom Sawyer and Limelight and all that good mm. shit. Power Windows, the title. You might think, what the fuck? What, what? That is an, it's a weird title, isn't it? Power Windows. But when you realise, and I'm not saying this because I've just, you know, done a lot of re- like I've just decided this. This is, they, it's literally confirmed on their own website. Mm-hmm. A lot of the songs on Power Windows are like about various forms of power oh okay so power in that sense yeah yeah okay yeah they're yeah now the phrase power windows does make a lot yeah, more sense so i didn't know that for to, ages there's something and obviously in 1985 no one would be thinking this but like there's something that you know you hear windows and it can be like i don't know the glass in your house or microsoft and you know so like it's hard to disentangle being living in 2022 from that 
And like I was thinking, I was taking the word power as in like power rock, yeah, power metal, like that way. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I was like, okay, it's just a phrase, like whatever. Yeah. They thought it sounded cool. Power windows, thinking about like a window into power, yeah. that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was listening to the record all over again with yeah. that knowledge. <laughs> it's weird because, like, you think power windows. I don't necessarily think that just like I'm surprised that they didn't go for like windows of power or windows into power. It's not as sketchy though. Yeah. It's clearer. Yeah. But it's not as sketchy. I think maybe they wanted to not do a three word title after the last mm. one. That probably that might be it. That might be just as simple as that. Make it snappier. Yeah. Because when I've. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been a Rush fan for uh, a few years now. Yeah, I. Because I'll admit, I properly started actually going in on Rush properly. Because I was aware of them for many years. But I properly was like, do you know what, I'm actually going to listen to Rush records now. And there's probably quite a few people around my age who probably say the same, probably say the exact the same source. The film I Love You Man, starring Paul Rudd and Jason. Oh, yeah, yeah. and he's really into Rush. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a fun film. I like that. Yep. That was the moment I thought, Do you know what? I'm actually going to listen to Rush properly now. I'm not just going to, like, know them because, you know, the dudes are ridiculously talented and the guy's called Geddy. You know. Do you know what's fun? I had heard of Neil Peart years and years and years before yeah. I was really properly aware of what. Rush were as a band just because yeah. people were like well he's a good drummer yeah he's good isn't he yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean I've I might, I'll I'll just briefly mention this one of my favourite sort of ridiculous facts in the 90s despite being a professional musician for decades in a multi-million selling rock band he decides I'm just going to go relearn my entire drum technique. I'm going to go speak to some jazz drummers. I'm going to speak to jazz drummer Freddie Group and just basically relearn how to play the drums. I did see that in that documentary we watched. He yeah. talks about it. And it is so interesting yeah. about like how it's just a completely different approach. Yeah. Which I which I do understand, like, having to take, like, with the instruments I play, that I was actually taught how to play as opposed yeah. to self-taught. I, I do, I can differentiate between, with other people by being like, well, this is the approach I was taught in. Yeah. You know, like I was taught a classical approach to this instrument as opposed to oh. a more jazz approach okay. or a more, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, like piano, I learned the classical way, but you, there's other ways you can teach piano. Um, like uh, a lot of people who play instruments at home learned through trad, yeah. not through like, you know, Western classical yeah. music and stuff. So their skill set was very different yeah. to mine. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting to go back and relearn things from a different point of view. Yeah. So very I'd, cool. I'd also say that I think, and I'm going to say this multiple times probably going forward, apologies. The drumming on this record I find is very jazzy. I find it very jazzy and I love it. Hmm. Like there is another record. The next record after this is also similar in terms of the drumming style. Like some records are a lot jazzier and things than others. Let's just say. Okay. Some are a lot more like straight down the line comparatively and straight down the line rock. But this one is a I think is very much more jazzy. Especially uh, yeah. Anyway, unlike previous records, the album actually took them. The recording process took them outside of Canada for the first time in a while. Some of this was recorded in Montserrat. Quite a lot of this was recorded in England. Okay. The producer for this record is an English fella uh, by, the, by the name of Peter Collins, who had he did actually do a Bon Jovi record, <laughs> funnily enough. Well, that's what I'm hearing, yeah. clearly. But also, but also, he would eventually... He, he went through a lot... Of, he was one of the producers who produced a lot of different things in different styles. He wasn't yeah. just a rock guy, as it were. He also produced um, an Indigo Girls record. Nice. Yeah. Nice! <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember seeing that. Like, really? <laughs> I just fun. thought I thought that would do. Uh, That's fun. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> there was a review of Power Windows and the Rolling Stone that, ha- that ends with this, I think, fucking incredible comparison. Incredible. I don't know whether it's because I agree or disagree with it. I just think it's so mad. Power Windows is described as the missing link between Yes and the Sex Pistols. <laughs> What a sentence! That is a fucking what a sentence. Real sentence. I don't even know how I don't know how I feel about that. But what I a sentence! Either. What a claim! I, I had to put that in because I'm like that's glorious. Because I didn't I, until I started doing research. I had no idea this review existed, and this review has been written at the time. I it's yeah. I have to I struggle to find reviews written at the time. Sure. I found a shitload of retrospective. There's so many retrospective reviews of this record, but in terms of re- ones that came out at the time, it was quite challenging. Usually, I find that a lot easier with mm. this sort of thing, but I really struggle with this. But hey. I thought that quote was fascinating because I, I hear the missing link between yes and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes, the that, sex pistols... Yeah, the first half of the sentence, I was completely... I was Honestly, I really thought... I, when I first read it, I presumed, when I was reading it, I presumed it was going to say... The, I was honestly it was going to say yes and the police. Yeah, yeah. That, I really oh, thought it was if you said that to me, I'd be like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, but nope, not at all. Yes and the sex pistols. Very fun. Didn't know the sex pistols wrote five-minute songs. Like, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I, I also did a lot of looking around for like I like to try and with with records like this from this sort of period. You often find that there's a lot of, especially if it's a big band, so there'll be a lot of like radio phone-ins because obviously that was one of the main mediums for people to get information yeah. about their favorite artists. And I I found this radio phone-in that they did with something called Rockline. I cannot remember if it was American or Canadian, but I say they it was mostly Getty. Yeah, um, and Getty, he is like every call is got somebody going, "Hey Getty, uh, you're like the greatest musician ever, and your bass playing is like the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life." And it's literally everyone that does it, and he's just like, "Oh, thank you very much," because you can tell he's just like that's really sweet, but please, yeah. like you don't all have to say it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just bad. Like it just fascinated me. Mm. It fascinates me also because the idea of the idea of an uh, of a band getting to an eleventh record and people still having any interest is complete anathema because they were putting out records pretty much every year or every other year for like a decade. Yeah, it sounds like they were like pumping them out. Yeah. If they were doing like nineteen eighty four, then nineteen eighty five, like not even doing the two year cycle between records, which nowadays is. Yeah, they were absolutely cranking them out for like a, over a decade. That that was just a lot more common, and it's just fascinating because you know. If you went up to any sort of like radio program and Alan said, "Oh, this we've got this artist in their eleventh record," they'd be like, "Who the fuck are these granddads?" It just wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't get like it. Like it wouldn't happen. It'd just be a, they'd be considered like a grand. They'd be parked off to radio too. Yes. Like you, you'd be you'd be lucky if you get on radio two daytime at that point. Like, it's just fa- that sort of thing fascinating. So yeah, this record eight tracks, about forty four minutes. Every song's a, at least five minutes, but there's no like. 12 minute epic no. at the end every and they song they clip by oh yeah I, I didn't actually I didn't think they were all at least 5 minutes yeah listening to it today yeah it's crazy so the first track also the the big MTV hit single because apparently this video is just getting played all the time is The Big Money what do you think The Big Money's about it's I'll give you a clue it's about big business and it, it's, the stock market and it's about money and money yeah it's about dare I say the power of money yeah yeah Window into power, yeah. yeah. Well done. Go full brain. 
Yeah, I noticed, <laughs> and I was like, maybe if I if I can tell you with my eyes, just stop being David Brent at me. Yeah. yeah. Now I'll just say it with my mouth. Yeah. Stop being David Brent at me. Now, as a way to open a record, what Peter Collins manages to do as a producer is, if you listen to Grace Under Pressure, and then you listen to this straight afterwards, Power Windows, by comparison, sounds so bright. Okay. Grace Under Pressure, by comparison, sounds like a murky, dark mess. And it's not. It's not all murky. But you put Power Windows on, you're just like, oh, fucking hell, this is like big, bright. Things sound huge. Think like yes. There is, you know, even like random little synth effects and shit that they pop up, the random sort of sounds that like crop up throughout the record, especially during the big money. Like the sort of like, wows and all that. Yeah. It sounds so fucking huge. They, they are, everything is prominent, I suppose, in a certain way. Because I did yeah. notice that when I was walking around listening to, especially the big money, those uh, like synth noises. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I assumed you had played something in like the other room or something. You yeah. know, like something was coming through the headphones. But no, yeah. it was the it was the record. <laughs> yeah. I would like to, uh, I'd like to read the li- some of the lyrics out. There's a, there's a thing that, depending on who you ask, Neil Peart is either the greatest lyricist ever or completely rubbish. There's no sort of middle ground. You either completely love what he's doing with the lyrics or you think this is the most pretentious twaddle I've ever heard in my life. But either way, uh, he's provoking a comment. Yeah. So that's pretty good. And also, for a lot of the songs, some of the lyrics kind of... Because I wasn't sitting down reading them, so they did kind of go over my head for some of the songs. So I'm interested to hear... I mean, there's one that you, you surely know what it's about without even thinking about it, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about yet. As soon as I say you, but yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, give, me, give, me, give me some of that dramatic reading right now. Now, I personally think that if I put the lyrics and the first chorus in the style of a slam poet, I would get all the little... Little snaps, well done snaps. Yeah. Which I will now attempt. Okay. <clears throat> Big money goes around the world. Big money underground. Big money got a mighty voice. Big money make no sound. Big money pull a million strings. Big money hold the prize. Big money weave a mighty web. Big money draw the flies. Sometimes pushing people around. Sometimes pulling out the rug. Sometimes pushing all the buttons. Sometimes pulling out the plug. It's the power and the glory. It's a war in paradise. It's a Cinderella story on the tumble of the dice. The big money. What's interesting is, I think you Did started you out... In, no, it's because I think you started out <laughs> in Slam Poet, but you actually went more into actor's monologue about halfway through. Now, listeners, you can't see... It's the same thing. Is it? I've thought, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you couldn't see Louis' beautiful physicality during this monologue, but I, I got that gift. <laughs> um... A lot of plosives also. A lot of p noises. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) I thought it would amuse you. It sounds like I'm taking the piss out of the lyrics. I'm not. I'm not at all. I I really like the lyrics. Yeah, I think they're good. I think the lyrics are fucking great. Basically, money makes the world go around. Money is all. Essentially, if you were to analyse the lyrics, you basically just go, money is all. Money is everything. Money is everything good, everything bad. You know... It's the it, you know it's the powering group. It's a war in paradise. We're in paradise, but also you know yeah. like we keep doing all these cool things with money, but also fuck you. Yeah. Is essentially, what is happening? And look, a topic that has uh, I feel been you know is thick for exploration by lyricists. 
Yeah. Abba took a, took a crack at that. Yeah. The musical cabaret took a crack yeah. at that. The final lyrics of the song are Big Money Got a Mean Streak, Big Money Got No Soul. Like, mm. you know, you, you know, I'm not, Neil Peart is not a fucking communist. No. But he's fully aware that big money, remember, he's not talking about, like, you know, some guy with $5. Sure. He's talking about big money. Yeah. yeah it's, this is all, yeah. Also, the composition and the general arrangement is fucking insane. Yes. Lots of delightful drum fills. Alex Lifeson's guitar and how he fills the space is just I oh, it's so bright and gorgeous it's not like hid it's not like buried no. it is a little bit buried on Grace Under Pressure it's not buried here and it, what's interesting um, to me anyway besides just the fact that three people can kind of get such a big sound because that's impressive in and of itself but in a in a genre where traditionally the guitar is like the lead instrument i do think like although he fills the space yeah he he's actually not the most prominent but he isn't like oh here's no. guitar and then the rhythm section backs up yeah. the guitar actually it feels much more balanced yeah like they're all equally a part of yeah. a whole um, and I think I feel like I noticed the rhythm section like with the bass and the drums more because it's so not the usual for them to be as forward as yeah. they are. Yeah. Also, I love a sweet bass line. <laughs> and this album is full of delicious bass. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> if this album was on guitar, the bass would just be on five stars on every song. Yes. It would just be on extreme. It, it's just... Geddy Lee, I just... He's very impressive. Like, I, I just, I can't get over, like, half the reason I love Power Windows as much as I do is the outrageous bass playing. The other half, yeah. the, the other, well, I say half, it's really a third. I love everything about this record. Like, this is not a record I'm like, mm, don't like that. No, 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 no. This is, to me, I'm not so, mm. we'll get into that discussion. We'll be get to that another time. Yeah. So, Big Money slaps like a motherfucker. The video's hilarious. Because um, it's basically, I mean, if you didn't think the lyrics, if you thought the lyrics were a little bit too opaque, a little bit too metaphorical, you know, you know, they're playing on a fucking Monopoly board. Yeah. Like. In that animation style that I feel was very like in trend at yes. the time in music videos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like similar CGI to like uh, Money for Nothing in fucking Dire Straits. Yes, it's a very similar animation yeah. style to that. Yeah. Only the big money's a better song than Money for Nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard agree. Yeah. Sorry, Dire Straits. Um, yeah, so after that... You, oh, I, actually, fuck it. The the drip. The look. The get-up. See, Rush, I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm not criticising it. But this is a, an example of changing times because all three of them look so drastically different even, like, five years before. They're literally, like, mm. different... They look, like, genuinely different people. The hair, the clothes... If you were to tell someone who was listening to Rush when they were walking out in fucking kimonos and shit, that yes, in a few years... Yes, they did used to walk out in kimonos and shit. If, if you were to, I forgot about yeah. that. I was like, they just look like regular 80s boys, Louis. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very normal if yeah. you don't know... Alex Lifeson's hair is insane. Geddy's fuck, Geddy Lee's fucking hair is... I just... He's got that long hair. It's like a mullet, but it's not. But it's longer it is. than a mullet. It's, it's incredible. It's so thick and voluminous like a shag haircut it's, inc- it's fucking insane like it's genuinely insane I, I but very, I feel like it's on trend for the time like it feels yeah. 1980s yeah he looks like he's going to sell you a lot of banging car yeah 
<laughs> it's far, but you know, I I sound like I'm mocking it. I'm not because no, I'm, I'm actually quite here for it because I love a big eighties jacket, and it's yeah. not like David Byrne big. We're not yeah. we're not going that far. It's a regular for the eighties. Yeah. But I love a big. I love them on men. I love them on women. I yeah. love them on everyone. I think yeah. they look great to this day. Yeah. Um, I think a lot about the fact I had a lot of these jackets in like yeah. twenty twelve. Yeah. And it's a sad fact that I don't have all of them now. Yeah. Real 80s shit. Um, so I think everyone's looking great. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll skip. We'll move on. We'll move on. So, Grand Designs. It's not about the TV show. Sorry, everyone. Kevin MacLeod doesn't show up halfway Imagine through. Imagine if Kevin MacLeod just rocked up and made, like... Uh, made someone go over budget on their fucking renovation. Yeah, just made, made a comment about how the budget was off. Just absolutely fucked now. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Designs. I've tried to... I've always, I don't want to definitively say what it's about, but to me it's sort of, it's sort of about trying to recognise, like, genuine art and good things from Mm. just, you know, the bilge of it all, like the milieu of shit. So yeah, the opening verse is like, so much style without substance, so much stuff without style, it's hard to recognise the real thing, it comes along once in a while. And then, do you know what, the way that this song starts is so bright. It's so bright that the you know I love it. that last note was very like that's accurate. I'm not saying it's not. I, I just wasn't expecting it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like the synths on this are insane. <laughs> this is just uh, I've always kind of got the impression that this song is about like trying to you know sort out the wheat from the chaff, like the grand you know real shit from like crap yeah you know I, I don't think this song is necessarily about power in the same way mm. like you could all, you could sort of go it was about like the power of like a good idea and the power of yeah you know that's sort of power like the rest of this album I think you can get a lot more chatty about power let's just say <laughs> and we will but yeah Grand Designs like again that fucking bass is insane the guitar is gorgeous like it starts like chiming oh, when Alex Austin just got like, like chiming out shit towards the end and the synths like the synths of the big money are cool but the synths on Grand Designs are so big they're so big mm. and I just what Neil is doing on the drums on every song it, it's it's like it's just no one should be allowed to be that good <laughs> at drums the thing about this period of Rush is they're always the songs themselves have fairly simple structures. They're yeah. not. They don't go off into loads of different places. They, they, they have a verse. They've got, like there are bridges and shit. There are things that are recognisable in terms of structure to anyone that's listening to a song. But the skill and the notes and the choices that are made are, can only be made by virtuoso. <laughs> yeah, it's very tight. And what what's interesting is like I think you're right in saying the structure is simple, but like within the space of a structure like what you do in those spaces that you've kind of you've set a yeah. limitation this yeah. is how much space we have to play around yeah. with for example I think they're doing a lot yeah. within that so yeah. even though it's structurally simple yeah. there's still some interest it's mm. still more interesting to me yeah. than say like the police like yeah. in terms of yeah virtuosity yeah. and where it's going to go yeah. but it isn't as um, expansive as like yeah. prog proper yeah. you know so like for example 
the baseline in ground design instead of being do 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 they're playing around with that space a lot more yeah just to give you a rough idea of the sort of ridiculousness that you can hear on this album um yeah i don't want to dwell too much on every single song because we're all day but yeah ground design i genuinely ground design is fucking unbelievable first time i heard that i was just like i genuinely exploded the next song, Manhattan Project, I don't think I need to tell you what it's about. Is it about the Manhattan Project? Yes. <laughs> wow, so clever. <laughs> yeah, so basically this song is the Manhattan Project in five minutes. So if you want to teach your children, your school group, your um, amateur history society, whatever, if you want a quick five minute primer on the Manhattan Project, here you go. Is it the most uplifting song about the, you know, the atomic bomb and the atomic revolution shit? Yes, because it's very propulsive. It's not dour. Like no. it's not. This isn't like the ballad or anything. This song goes like the clappers, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's yeah. It's, it is frankly how I didn't work out that Power Windows was you know had many songs about various songs of power after listening to a song called Manhattan Project is kind of bad on my part. <laughs> Big flop, as it were. Big flop for me. But yeah, it's the most kick-ass and uplifting song about nukes ever written <laughs> it's not pro-nuke it, it, it's just the the atmosphere of it really like goes i also know that um when they were recording the song they were like they were having troubles not with the lyrics but neil was getting quite annoyed about the phrasing how how getty was phrasing the lyrics mm. um, like there was a lot of like back and forth about how to actually like sure. spit them out as it were yeah I think that makes a big difference a lot of the yeah. time. Oh, how you will hear how you will hear the meaning of things. Like even the phrase power windows, like yeah. we've discussed, how you emphasize that can really change how it uh, is received. Yeah. I also fucking love the uh, I love Alex Lyson's little guitar solo. Love it, because when it comes in it's just like, right, I'm gonna slap you all with some guitar. It's just like oh, I'm at the front of the mix now. Fuck you. <laughs> it just sounds like every time it comes in you're just like, Hello, hello. That's, again, Peter Collins, ridiculous job on this. Peter mm. Collins crushes it on this record. It, yeah, this song is literally the Manhattan Project in like four verses. I'd really like to spend a little bit of time talking about Marathon. It's uh-huh. not about the ancient city of Marathon. Oh. <laughs> is it about the um, discontinued chocolate bar? Well, they just renamed it to Snickers. It's still very much in production. The bar is still in production. It's not called a marathon though, is it, Louis? Yeah. <laughs> Slap at my jokes, please. No. That's my love language. Other people <laughs> laughing at my jokes. <laughs> So a marathon is about how essentially life is not a sprint. It's like a marathon. Mm. It's about endurance. It's an uplifting song. This song is so like if you're having a shit fucking time, or if you if you need that little bit of extra motivation, this is the song. Like they, like Rush aren't really known for like uplifting. You know, like as in op- overtly like helpful. Yeah. That way, like. The, the, you know, this isn't they're not doing a hate breed no <laughs> <laughs> I mean I do think you could, if you, I do think you could give these lyrics to Jamie Jaster and I, I, I think you could make a ridiculous song out of them and it would actually work <laughs> yeah it's not how fast you can go the force goes in the flow if you pick up the beat you can forget about the heat more than just survival more than just a flash more than just a dotted line more than just a dash that's how it like kicks off yeah and again the, the fucking bass line of this song is ridiculous the bass throughout this album you know that, is like, just 
it's, it's, there's no need for it but at the same time I'd feel if it was just a bit simpler I, I genuinely feel this album would be half as good it would still be really good but I, I genuinely think if the bass line was just you know no I do think you would lose a lot I think you yeah. have to fill out where that was missing with more guitar or something because it's definitely part of the melodic like the, it, structure of it yeah. all like it, it, it would feel same, less without it I'd say the same if the drums weren't so extra as well yeah yeah because they are so fucking extra I will say that until I blew in the face they're the most extra fucking thing in the universe there is no need for half of it on paper but my God, does it sound good. My no, you God. You need that full circle of drums. You need to be completely yeah. surrounded by drums. <laughs> with no... How he gets in and yeah. out of the drum set, I, I think don't they know. take the back bit out. It's one of those. I've seen. But that's what I mean. It yeah. feels like you need someone to come in and basically let yeah. you out of the drums. Because at this point, there was lots of electronic pads and shit as well. Yeah. That got more and more of a thing. Like, y- yeah. You can get more fun sound on the electronic oh, pads. Oh my God, the amount of mad pads and shit that he was using towards the end. So yeah, the chorus, like, when you get to the chorus of this song, the, the final chorus, the final chorus when the fucking strings come in, there's a fucking key change. Ah, oh, it is like, high five your friends, climb the mountain, stand on top of the mountain, hug your friends. It's Rocky reaching the top of the fucking Philadelphia steps and shit. It's, you know, it's the end of a football match when your teams come from 1-0 down to win 2-1 at the end. It, it That's... You know, it, it, that's the feeling that the song sort of evokes. It's about not giving up. It's about keeping fucking going. It's also um, Neil Peter got into like distance running at this time. He did a bit of that, mm. so that does feed into it a little bit. The last verse is you know, there's like a lot of the bridge more actually. Like before, it just it just it ridiculously like you can do it a lot in a lifetime if you don't burn out too fast. You can make the most of the distance. First, you need endurance. First, you've got to last. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. And then, yeah, unreal. That song is. This song is unfucking real. It's fucking six minutes long. It feels like it's two. Mm. It is just. Oh, I, it's a real fan favorite as well, Marathon. From what I've been reading it's a bit of a fan favourite okay. with like the real fans not like not like the pussy owls who quit in 1981 fuck them but look, you know the ones who were there for all that time yeah Marathon's a big life favourite as well it sounds fucking massive live like there's a live album from this era there's quite a few, they have quite a few live albums and the one from like this sort of era it, that album was a big factor in me like falling in love with Rush mm. not 2112 or anything like that it was yeah. that record well, that sense knowing well, that's the thing I love all that shit yeah, I love yeah. all that but like that I, I think if I hadn't have heard that the way I when I did I think I would have been a bit like oh this is just Led Zeppelin and I may not have cared as much mm. you know like uh, this is just really good rock I wouldn't have been as excited I'm like oh, hello what's all this <laughs> what are these weird sounds <laughs> like, so uh, after that you have territories or territories depending on how you like to say that word I would say territories, yeah. Yes, I would say it like that. Literally. I really thought you said territories. Like yeah, territories. Yeah. That's how I speak. Uh, Mr. Tories. <laughs> Mr. Tories. Mr. Tories, your mother will see you now. Terence Tories. <laughs> <laughs> so territories is about nationalism and shit. Yeah, it's, yeah. of course. Yeah, you know, like, I've got a very... Um, I have Ina quote. Regarding the lyrics, Neil Peer had this to say. 
I think what China had to offer in terms of its impact on the world, I had already taken advantage of in a song like Territories, for instance. The song is directly influenced by the Chinese attitude toward themselves. The title comes from an area around Hong Kong called the New Territories. I was struck by the sound of that word and the territorial instinct. And what with the Northwest Territories being part of Canada, it was just the right sort of word to describe what I was after. It had the right poetic sound and visual contact. That's important to me in the title. So that was the essence of it. As for the opening line about the Middle Kingdom, that's still what China calls itself today. The reason for the Middle Kingdom is because it's a middle between heaven and earth. In other words, it's slightly below heaven, but still above everybody else on earth. Mm. It's a lot. Because I remember the first time I heard this song, I was just like, what, why, what, why is it going on about the Chinese? <laughs> What's going on here? And when I read that, I really unlocked a lot of the meaning for the song. It isn't, you know, it's, it's not just... I'd like to be clear, this isn't just, this isn't like an anti-China song, or, you know, sure. it's not that. It, it, it's a comment, the whole song is a comment on, like, you know, nations essentially conquering other nations in a lot of respects. Mm. You know, there's a verse, we see so many tribes overrun and undermined, while their invaders dream of lands they've left behind. Better people, better food, and better beer, why move around the world when Eden was so near? Basically, like, what's yeah. the fucking point of all this nonsense? I'm not saying this is anti-colonialism, but if you were to try and read it that way, it's I'd not pro-colonialism. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, you know, there's a like a little bridge. The boss has got to talk, got talking so tough, and if that wasn't evil enough, we get the drunken and passionate pride of the citizens along for the ride. You know, there's yeah, this song is like it gets as the song goes further on, it gets more and more like dismissive of nationalism. Mm. It gets very dismissive of it. Better the pride that resides in a citizen of the world than the pride that divides when a colourful rag is unfurled is like the last like couple of lines of the song. Yeah. But that point like the song's sort of like slowing down a little bit. Um this the the bass is very sassy, I find. I think this bass is very sassy. Sassy. I do. I think it's a very sassy bass. <sighs> I think there's also some incredible like synth stabs that just sort of slap you in the face mm-hmm. in this art. I I'm a f- I love Territories. I think it's fucking great. I think it's really underrated in the canon. I think it's so underrated. Nationalism, bad. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree. And I, what Alex Life is doing guitar as well is incredible. It's lots of little texture like... Textures is a good way to describe how yeah. I found the guitar on this album actually as a whole. Yeah, it's very... Adding a lot of... To, as it, yeah, like I said, it's supposed to be yeah. like the, the front and center instrument and everything else falls behind it's just there like adding to the texture of it all yeah it's good so after that you have Middletown Dreams which is a slightly uh, well it goes in a it's interesting because in the same interview that I just quoted Neil Peart from he he's t- he talks about territories this interview took place in a, around 1986 mm. so this wasn't a recent interview I tried to get interviews and the quotes and stuff, I tried to pull the stuff from the time. Sure. Rather than like 30 years later. Yeah. When it's all like, hey, everything's good. You know, I, want, I, wanted, that, I wanted that raw fucking information <laughs> nugget. Okay. I also want to briefly mention, on a more technical note, Geddy Lee says something to, uh, I believe it was Bass Player Magazine about um, territories. Sometimes it's hard to tell if you're playing a bass or a keyboard. On the verse of territory, territories, there's a real droning type of bass part. Then on the little like the B part, you get into a more staccato kind of sound. Whenever you hear that low bottom end that drones underneath, it's actually usually my Moog pedals. I've been using those for the years, and they're really great when I have to go to keyboards and sustain the bottom end because they have an unobtrusive bass that doesn't phase. Hmm. See, so there's like that. There is that sort of 
sound right at the, at the sort of bottom of the mixed territories. Yeah. That's that. It's basically like weird mood pedals. Nice. I don't want to get too much into like gear and shit because every Rush album you could spend conservatively 40 minutes just talking about gear. Yeah. But unless you're an expert on that stuff, it really doesn't make sense. No, no, no. <laughs> so Middletown Dreams, um, there I've got two... Middletown Dreams is a fascinating one for me because I've got a little bit of a... Thing. So Geddy Lee was asked about it. Neil Peart was quite reticent to do interviews in general. He didn't do yeah. a ton of them, especially... He, he was more like to do them if it was written rather than, like, on radio or on screen. Sure, yeah. Like, you won't find that many interviews until quite near the end of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, when he... That, that's a whole thing. Um, Neil Peart's reticence reticence to sort of engage with strangers and what have you that's that's a yeah. thing i don't want to explore that because it's very personal and I, you know that's that it, that's the sort of thing i would say for if we if i did an episode all about the man's life let's just sure. say so i'm not going to go into it here geddy lee was on a tv show and he was being asked about uh, certain songs and one he got he gets asked about middletown dreams and what that's about and he said and remember he doesn't write the lyrics yeah. So he said, "I like to take a positive attitude when singing those songs. For me, these are very hopeful lyrics. I see these people as getting out. I mean, in verse two, when that guy gets on the buses, going to do his best to make his dreams come true. Verse three, it's the same thing. You know, a middle-aged Madonna. I mean, she's going out there. She's going to do it. The dreams are the motivating factor to get these people to make these dreams come true. Broadly, the song is about like people trying to make their dreams come true. As it were, yeah. it's about the power of dreams. It's about the power of ideas and the power of wanting to like better your life." Neil Peart said something in a 1986 interview. I used the exact thing which Territories warns against as a device in Middletown. I chose Middletown because there is a Middletown in almost every state in the US. It comes from people identifying with a strong sense of neighbourhood. It's a way of looking at the world with the eyeglass in reverse. I spent my days off cycling around the countryside in the US, looking at these little towns and getting a new appreciation of them. When you pass through them at 50 miles per hour, you see them a little differently. So I was looking at these places and kind of looking at the people in them, fantasizing, perhaps romanticizing a little about their lives. I guess I was even a little, getting a little, little literary in imagining the present, future, and past of these men, women, and children. There was that romantic way of looking at each small town, but also each of the characters in that song is drawn from real life or specific literary examples. The first character is based on a writer called Sherwood Anderson. Late in his life, Anderson literally walked down the railroad tracks out of a small town and went to Chicago in the early 1900s to become a very important writer of his generation. That's an example of a middle-aged man who may have been perceived by the neighbours and by an objective onlooker to have sort of finished his life, and he could have stagnated in his little town. But he wasn't finished in his own mind. He had this big dream, and it was never too late for him, so he walked off and did it. There is more, which I'll go into in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, Middletown Dreams, I think, is a bit underrated. I don't think people appreciate it enough because i think it's i think it's gorgeous mm. i think it's a fucking gorgeous song i i really like the chorus i think it sounds really beautiful i really again love the keys love those keys i really like the way they just fill out the sound i i really like the lyrics of this song so i'm going to go back to that quote so the painter paul gogwen gogwen i've definitely said that wrong is another example of a person who late in life just walked out of his environment and went away he too became important and influential he is the influence for the woman character of the song. The second verse about the young boy wanting to run away and become a musician is a bit autobiographical, but it also reflects the backgrounds of most of the successful musicians I know, many of whom came from very unlikely backgrounds. Most of them had this dream that other people secretly smiled at or openly laughed at, and they just went out and made it happen. Mm. If I was to 
interpret this in certain ways. Like, you know, there's a lyric, um, dream, well, the chorus is basically, dreams flow across the heartland, feeding on the fires. Dreams transport desires, drive you when you're down. Dreams transport the ones who need to get out of town. Yeah. So I just have to, I have to do it. It's just so compelling. <laughs> this is the most air-baseable album of all time. <laughs> Agree. It is. The whole like, you know, idea of getting out of wherever to follow your dreams, that's, that's obviously Taylor's oldest time. Sure. He's, he's not pretending that he's the first person to have this thought. No, no. Like, <laughs> he would not be that fucking arrogant, you know. But this is like the Rush version of it. Mm. It's it's not it's not fuck you, you won't succeed. But it's also not necessarily you will succeed. It's a case of you sort of want to have a go. It's worth having a punt because mm. you know look at these people. They had a punt and some of them succeeded, and it's all good. And you know you, you don't have to just be whatever you work like. It. I mean, it ends. It's understood by every single person who'd be elsewhere if they could, so far so good, and life's not unpleasant in their little neighbourhood. They dream in Middletown. It's not a, if you don't follow your dreams, you're a piece of shit failure song. It's not that. It's more a case of, if you can, do. That's how I've always kind of seen it. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting little take on it. Yeah. And again, musicianship, unbelievable. I don't want to turn this into like fucking technical... Oh, you know, I really like the staccato rhythm. I don't want to do that because I don't want to put people off. Mm. Again, a misconception about Rush is that they are basically inaccessible nerd music, and it's just not. No, like, at I mean, all. not to not to go back to the the first song, but it's it's a useful example that like there are many times in the first song where if you're paying attention, you notice that they have changed time signatures. Yeah. But if you're not paying attention, it's just a fun jam. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not like I, I I've never gotten the sense, but well, I didn't get the sense on this album anyway that they were adding in say like that kind of thing, like changing time signatures and stuff for the sake of it. Mm. It you know, see, it's only if you're kind of paying attention. Yeah. Like I only noticed it because I was like, oh, that feels like it could be a different time signature. I'll count it out. Yeah. And it was, but like you wouldn't notice. Yeah. It's not. It's not nerd shit basically. No. And I say that as like I'm a big music nerd. I'll yeah. talk about fucking polyrhythms all day. Yeah. But, like, you know, this album. Quite a lot of their albums have instrumentals. Yeah. This does not. No. There are lots of their albums, especially in the early days, that have a, like an instrumental song. But yeah. Quite a lot. Of their, quite a few of their most famous songs and most beloved songs are the instrumentals, which yeah. is insane. Like I love YYZ as much as the next person. I love Livilla Strangiato, but they ain't Middletown Dreams. Mm. Like they're not the big money. They're not grand designs. Like I, you know, I, I do like a song. Yeah. As well as a flex. Because those those pieces are just flexes. It's yes. just like three people just flexing on everyone, being like, "We're better than you. We're just better than you. Like we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we are better than you. Like yeah, you will have to accept this." Are objectively, but like if I compare myself basically to the one instrument in that band, no, I can play technically play two instruments out of the three in that band. I can't play yeah. drums at all. Never will be able to. Can't get my head around it. Yeah. But like I would never be able to play bass or guitar yeah. at that level. Not if I practiced for a million years, and I won't because I'm shitty and I never practice. Yeah. <laughs> but even if I did, like they are yeah. just very virtuosic in those in their in their fields. Mm. So after Minotan Dreams, you have Emotion Detector. Apparently, this song's like really hard to record. They had to, oh, really? like, Alex Lyson was like, I had to like I wasn't happy with the solo. I had to like redo it. Like not that he had to, had to redo it. He like. I think there was like not like consternation, but there was definitely a sense of um, 
slight struggle to get exactly what they were sort of trying to go for. It just it's a bit of a weird one. Like it's not a criticism. It just took them a little bit longer to get where they wanted to, and they thought it'd be one of the easiest songs to do because it's a little bit more straightforward. This is my favorite song on the record. That is stunning. What did you? I genuinely, this is my favorite song on the record. I've listened to this album once for context, but on first listen, this is my fave. That is fascinating to me that this is the one you went for. What did you think I was going to go for? Either Big Money or Grand Designs. I like them, but this really, what I was... I, was probably... I didn't think you'd say Marathon because it's too fun. Not fun, it's too <laughs> hopeful. And, and I'm, I thought, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm too, too, I have too dark a soul yeah. for that level of hope. Um, but no, I was, uh, for context, I was listening to this album while doing my cleaning. <laughs> Doing my cleaning, uh, be, being, you know, get, getting up on my chores. Yeah. And so I kind of always, you know, like, ooh, just getting all this, like, guitar and bass while I do yeah. my work. And this really, like, lyrically, I, my brain locked into it for some reason. Yeah. And it really stood out to me. And I was like, I should check what song this is. Like, yeah. what's the title of this specific song so I can listen to it again? Yeah. So, yeah. Was it when you were, was there a particular, like, was it the opening verse or the chorus or? Let me check. Give me two seconds because I need right. to read it. All right. I don't remember things well. When we lift the curtain. Yeah. Right yeah. to the heart of the matter. Right to the beautiful part. Illusions of pain. Yeah. Yeah. The, the bit. Let, let me just read it. Two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Is that the chorus? Right to the heart of the matter. Yeah. Yeah. I love the chorus of it. Right yeah. to the heart of the matter. Right to the beautiful part. Illusions are painfully shattered. Right where discovery starts and the secret well of emotion buried deep in our hearts. Yeah. It's it's great. I love it. Yeah. I do like I there's something about having that line like illusions are painfully shattered. Yeah. That is I think um stops it from being too sentimental. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think um like get like getting right to the higher the matter yeah. where it's the beautiful part, you can get quite, I think, yeah. sentimental with it, but like the painful shattering of illusion yeah. which is a part of love i would yeah. say um that makes it a bit more like less fairy tale ending and a bit more like real life yeah um but yeah i i really i, I just really like the song no, i love it's, it as well it's so good okay. like you know again we wouldn't be talking about sam if i didn't love the song but yeah i just genuinely thought you were going to say big money or grand designs no. i just i really i expect i honestly we actually can say grand designs just because of you know oh yeah look I love that but no lyrically this really uh, this is the one that stuck out to me I think and I was yeah. just like ooh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to shout out the when Alex Lyson's the guitar solo comes in and you just get just get this ridiculous bass part yeah and the drums I'm obsessed are, with the bass on this album like I can't I knew you would be of course I'm obsessed with I'm obsessed with any any bass part that has enough going on that it like stands out to yeah. the average listener, I'm obsessed with that because, um, for context, I played bass for about a decade. I haven't played it in, in quite a while, but I played yeah. it for about a decade. Um, and uh, and let me tell you, being in secondary school and being like, I play the bass, yeah. gets you a lot of. Also, oh, you're just a failed guitarist then, and yeah. you're like, Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's its own thing. Yeah. I hear some impressive basses, so like, I I like I like when. Uh, there are bases that fly in the face of like you know the bassist is always the bored person on stage because yeah. they're just going dum 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 oh no that's the last so, thing you described exactly so I love when it's like treated almost as it's like 
it's not just a part of the rhythm section, yeah. but like it's its own, it can be its own <laughs> uh, front instrument yeah. in the way that like a good drummer, yeah. drum solos for the most part, I can't abide. Just, yeah. I can't deal with them. But there are some drummers who I could listen to a 10, I and I have listened to it like a 10 minute drum solo from because it's so interesting. Yeah. It changes. It's not yeah. just like, oh, look at this. Yeah. Um, and so I think whenever I see either like of those rhythm section instruments actually being like interesting and like the forefront of something and doing yeah. its own thing, then I'm like, yeah, good. It's not just yeah. underneath. <laughs> it's not just providing like okay. a bass underneath to a guitar. Yeah. So. I'm yeah, obsessed with that's not that's never been a rush thing. No, no, rush has always been three competing elements. It's not one is subservient to the other. It's just that's just not yeah. how it works. It would be a completely different band. Like I, I have no doubt that a more traditional power it could work. That's yeah. the thing. I think, it, but it would sound a lot more. I don't think it would have done. I think they would have struggled massive in the eighties, for example, if they were just like a classic power trio, like just yeah. like, as in bass just plays a, like a simple melody line so I think they would have really struggled in the AUs I think they would basically have gone away yeah or they would have been like playing bars yeah. but this is like their USP isn't it that they are like there is something different and interesting yeah. about them because it's three competing elements and yeah. not just I mean technically if we put in all the synth and shit it makes it four but like at this point true but it's still only three people doing yeah. it so. yeah and after Emotion Detect you have the final song Mystic Rhythms which also has a music video, which I believe, and I can't, I'm not going to say this definitively, but I think it was directed by Gerald Casali of Devo. That would be amazing. <laughs> I read that someone and I thought, I, I need to try and verify that because there seems like the kind of thing that is so ridiculous, it can't be true. It's just the idea of fucking Gerald Casali in 1985 when Devo have been dropped by Warner Brothers, they're in the like real. Fucking well, basically, Devo's just in, almost inactive at this point. According to Wikipedia, which we all know is a perfect source of information, yeah. the music video was directed by Gerald Casale, who was a member of Devo. So there you go. I mean, yeah, that's why I read it. That's why I was like, I don't know. If IMDb I can say also says that. Oh, right. So <laughs> that's just, I just, the idea, like, I, I mean, yeah. Sorry, that's sorry, man. That's just fascinating to me because. The idea of Jared Casali like directing Rush in a music video just Getty, can you just can you just stand over there? Like I, I There are certain images in that video though that I'm like, yeah, that's Devo y. There's like a <laughs> doll's head in a window at some point and I'm like, I could see Devo doing this. Yeah, it's, you know? It's saying that we've devolved to the level of children. It's a it's, it's a commentary it's a on devolution. Much less uh straightforward video yeah. than the big money, which is like like you say it's a monopoly board yeah uh there's a lot of i would say subatomic molecular imagery yeah. going on in mystic rhythms there's like a bit where they're sort of like um getting alex the pigs have been chroma keyed onto a background video of neil playing drums yeah and it's hysterical yeah because they're just like circling and getting just like and then getting getting closer and yeah. closer to you yeah. as he circles yes like <laughs> it's quite intimidating <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even know how to start to analyse that video, to be honest. You just gotta yeah. let it wash over you. Yeah. I don't think like, it just was... let that, let that art in, into your body. I don't think it was quite the hit on MTV that the Big Money was. No. I, I, I've no doubt it got over some play, because Big Money was a big hit. But I think if you'd have seen, like, Mystic Rip, like, let's actually, you know, also, gr- the drip, as it were, is hilarious. I, I actually think that it's a more subtle look 
than the big money because I think that like the 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 jackets there's still a lot of big jackets which yeah. as we've already stated I'm a big fan of but it's a lot more they're like monotone there's no yeah. prints yeah um it's a bit darker it's a bit more monotone yeah a lot more ponytails yeah in this video <laughs> yeah. that's the hairstyle choice um so but I look I still think it's a, for the 80s yeah. it's a great 80s look yeah <laughs> it's not there is wild 80s say, yeah. looks that I'm like wow now that's yeah. a choice these I'm like this fits in just fine if you saw the a show of hands live video like they that's sort of the look in that as well yeah because that was released after the next record hold your fire it sounds that's like it. if I had a better context for like the aesthetic of 70s rush yeah. I would be more shocked yeah but I'm just oh like, it's so different yeah but and I think I vaguely do have memories of, of what it is but like I'm like, no, this is just some cracking 80s looks. Yeah. Without going overboard. Yeah. You know? <laughs> keeping it keeping it classic. Yeah. Mystic Rhythms as a song is very... like This song has appeared in live sets for many years. Yeah, it's, that makes it's, sense. It's yeah. a very, very percussive song. Yes. I think this is the most like percussive ever. Not in terms of... It's not just, you know, it's not... It's not that. It's more... That's sort of the basis, the basis, sorry. That's sort of the basis for the song. Yeah. The song is, I've always kind of thought of songs like dreams and shit, but like not dreams in the sense of things you want to do, but dreams in the sense of like weird, like visions and mysticism, mm. and the power of all that sort of stuff, that kind of power as it were. Like, you know, the, uh, what's it, the chorus, um, yeah, mystic rhythms capture my thoughts and carry them away. Mysteries of night escape the light of day. Mystic rhythms under northern lights or the African sun. Primitive things stir the hearts of everyone. It's like the next verse talks about like things beyond and yeah. It goes to a it goes to a more metaphorical place yeah. rather than being like about the Manhattan Project. No, it feels like, more like a bit more existential, yeah. a bit more metaphysical. Um, yeah, it's not concrete. Yeah. And the video also supports that. Like I said, yeah. it's strange imagery and a lot of like, who are we at? Like an atomic yeah. level. I'm the same as this table. Right? Yeah. At the yeah. atomic level. We're all just <laughs> atoms, man. Yeah. I always thought it was a slightly weird choice to make a music video for. Like, I would have thought it's you could have made... It's their album closer. Yeah, but the... that doesn't mean you should use that as the thing. Like, there, I think... I think you could have got a much more straightforward and I think you could have done I think Middle Town Dreams would have made more sense as a single because it was like sub, the song Subdivisions is quite you know, from Signals is quite close to it lyrically in terms of like being about yeah. suburban shit yeah, yeah there is a bit there is a link to that and Subdivisions has a video and it's like yeah it's very 1983 as well. Yeah. It's very, like, it's... But, like, with it, I suppose the, the video actually makes Mystic... To me, makes Mystic Rhythms a stranger song, maybe, than it actually is. Because yeah. I think when I was just listening to it on... Yeah. Uh, when I was listening to the record, I was like, oh, yeah, this would make sense for the radio. Like, I can see why this That's is a closer. That's so odd to me. Yeah, like, no, I see why it's a closer, but I don't... Like, the idea of that being the radio song... For no, a no, Rush no. radio song, not no, like... No, <laughs> yeah, but Rush radio song is thing like the Spirit Radio, which is a fucking banger and things like that. Like, that yeah. That, that, no, like, but I can see why they released this this wouldn't have surprised oh, me, to me as a single oh to, yeah but to me like emotion detector would make more sense to me every other well, song yeah, except the best song of the record as we've established <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly 
so the big money is like five minutes thirty six, and the re- and the video version is like thirty or forty seconds short. They don't yeah. cut any of the verses or anything. They cut like bits in between. They basically cut like some measures. Yeah, yeah. And like Grand Designs is technically shorter than the big money. That would have been a fucking great single because mm. the video would have just been. I don't, I don't even know what you do with the do video. You, but do I think you think that, it's like just that someone in one of one of the band members is just know. like this is it, mate? I don't know. I, I, I can't really work I, out. I won't even. I, I'll quit this band if we don't sure. release this to I mean, you could have done a fucking quite provocative video for Territories if you wanted to, but I don't think that would have been the vibe. No. I think Middletown Dreams, if it was me, I'd either pick Marathon or Middletown Dreams. I wouldn't pick Manhattan Project because I think people might have been a bit, you know, still be thinking about the war, even though it had been 40 years at that point. Cold War, though, still going on. Yeah. It's a weird, it's it's just an odd, I've never, again, it's not criticism, Mystic Rhythm, it's fucking brilliant. Like it shuffles along, it's weird, it's slightly off kilter. It's not a big banger. You won't like you won't be fucking running around singing at the top of your lungs like Marathon, mm. which you should do because Marathon's incredible. I often am not the biggest fan of a fade up. I actually think it really works here. Yeah, as the last song on it, and given the way it kind of um, the shape of it all, it kind of makes because I also don't care yeah. for a fade up most of the time. I'm just yeah. like just end the song. Yeah, I can't. I like. <laughs> If I really had to change one thing about Sam, if I really do mean one thing, it would just be the big money wouldn't be allowed to fade out. Yeah. That that's it. Big money would have to end with a, like, I, a crash. If, no, you can completely correct me. I feel like the fade out is just less commonly done these days. I think so as well. I I feel like the, like modern albums being released in like the twenty twenties aren't really fading out. Um, in a way that if you listen, especially in the eighties. Yeah. But like. Oh, they love to fade out. There's many yeah, a band who love to fade out in yeah. the seventies and the eighties, yeah. and I just don't understand it. Because when you play it live, you do have to finish. Yeah, you do have to come up with an ending, yeah. and I just <laughs> never got the purpose of, of yeah. the like the repeated yeah. measure into a fade out. But yeah, here we are. Here we are. I guess where we are. We're at the end of this little journey. So yeah, we've gone through all the songs. In my humble opinion, the reason I picked Power Windows as the Rush album I would like to do, because I could have picked any one of about 12. Sure. I picked Power Windows because I think it's massively underappreciated, partly by Rush fans, but also by the world at large. Mm. I think if you like big sounding songs, but you want them to be a little bit more interesting than just, you know, say, basically, if you want more challenging anthemic songs, this is the album for you. Like, Like, you know... How do I put this? I think even though you said challenging, and I do agree, it's more in, certainly more interesting than you know similarly yeah. sonic things. But it's still it's so accessible. That's, I do think it's like incredibly accessible. So just in case people were heard the word challenging and were like, oh, I won't listen to it. So like it is incredibly accessible, but yeah. it's so much more interesting. There's so yeah. much more going on in a small little package, I suppose. Yeah. And it's only forty four minutes. Yeah. Which as we've I've many times stated, albums in like the forty minute range is the perfect length of album. Yeah. Just as a general rule. Yeah. There's there's like three or four albums released after what is considered the classic rush period that in my opinion are as good as, if not better, than mm. the entirety of the classic rush period, including this one. Counterparts, which is also produced by Peter Collins. Um that came out in nineteen ninety three. And the final album they ever did, Clockwork Angels, which is fucking incredible. That is a complete flex on everyone. <laughs> musically. Musically is like Getty's voice is struggling a bit because he's, you know, like sixty. Yeah. 
he's struggling a little bit. That's fine. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Because the musicianship is stupid good. Like, it, like genuinely, it makes the musicianship on this album sound a bit shit. Like, that's how technical it is. And like the, the structures and the songs types that it's going for. That's, you know, th- like if I'm, you know, people would say, oh, the people always get, oh, the better, 21, 12, the classics. Like, well, half of it, the, the A side is the classic. The B, <laughs> the side B of 21, 12 is fine. <laughs> but, like, I, I refuse to accept that 21, 12 is a classic if half the album is not classic. I'm not having it. Fair. With respect. 21 Tell the Song, yeah, it's fucking great. It is. It is fucking great. 21 Tell the Album, second half of it, a little bit. Power Windows exists. Get get fucked. (laughs) Emotion Detector literally annihilates second half of 21 Twelve on its own. I don't have the, oh, Rush put synths in their music. Oh, no, I can't listen to it. No, you love a synth. I fuck, Synth Rush, right. I fucking love Synth Rush. Like, this album, the one after it, Hold Your Fire, which is also produced by Lee Collins, that's also really good. It's not quite as good as Power Windows because there's a song that Gigli's actually actually come out later and be like, actually, I fucking hate that song. It should never <laughs> have happened. But that's also got a song that is, well, it's better single than even The Big Money because they, yeah. But yeah, Hold Your Fire is great. Um, Grace Under Pressure, again, at the time Gigli wasn't king, it is really good, but it's a, a different signal. is great. Synth Rush is fucking great is what I'm saying. Like, Mid '80s synth rush is fucking great. It's fucking unbelievably good because there's no wank songs about like there's no songs about fucking Lord of the Rings. It's literally there's no <laughs> none of that. There's no songs about like trees being too tall. There's no weird metaphors for like individual politics and shit. None of that because uh, yeah, they used to like there's a song they have called the trees, which is basically like I mean I'm not saying Ayn Rand could have written it, but she could have. Okay. <laughs> there's not songs about Rivendell they literally have a song called Rivendell and yes obviously it's about fucking Rivendell oh yeah yeah all that metaphorical stuff is out the fucking window at this point and I personally think it's better for it I don't know they get back to like weird they get they do the last album's a concept album it's about fucking like clock watchmaker and shit and it's all like fucking weird steampunk bollocks Mm. oh and it like objectively is fucking stupid but the musicianship is incredible. Yeah. Like, I'm not sitting there going, oh, this is such a deep, meaningful story, but the musicianship's incredible. What I'm also... Basically, what I'm saying is, like, Rush didn't fucking end after moving pictures. Yeah. Rush... The, the, the Spirit of Radio is not the only famous, great, last great Rush song, or the fucking, you know, Tom Sawyer. Like, Rush is far more interesting than that. This album fucking slaps start to finish. It's 44 minutes. If you want great musicianship and you want great anthems and you want 80s drip... This is the one. Uh, this is my top three Rush albums. Which apparently, is a controversial thing to say in that world. I don't <laughs> understand take. why. Apparently, it's a hot take. I'm like, have you fucking heard this record? Like, what the fuck? But yeah, right producer, right time. Anywho, I'm going to shut up now because I will just say this. I will just go blue in the face. Anyway, um, would you like to tell me what we're doing next? Yeah, uh, we're going to go back to DreamWorks class, 90s classic. The Prince of Egypt. A movie that when I watched it a couple of years ago did hold up. You mean not Exodus, Gods and Kings? Oh, we'll, we'll compare them. <laughs> we'll Alright everyone, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy Power Windows. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You were listening to the Darling Wide podcast presented by Louis Tangaridis and Kate Stewart. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to give us a follow at Darling Wide Podcast on Instagram. Feel free to rate and subscribe. 
whatever podcast feed you're listening to. This podcast is produced, edited and put together entirely by Louis Tangridis and Kate Stewart. Thanks for listening. See you next time.